Hey guys, Casey here, and before we get into the episode today, I just wanted to say a couple of quick things. First off, thank you so much for the support. Uh, all you guys that have downloaded, subscribed to, and shared the podcast with your coworkers or your employees, uh, thank you so much, man. It's amazing to me that we've got 500 downloads in three episodes. Really cool. So I also wanted to give you a heads up about an episode that's going to be airing in December that's going to be a little different than what we've done so far. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about social media marketing and how you can use things like Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, even Snapchat to, to expand your personal brand within your territory or your distributorship's brand and to keep contact with customers uh, and just be present when not present. There's a lot of cool things that you can do with those platforms, and I'm going to have a few different experts on to talk about it. First off, my friend and, and marketing expert Danielle Wallace is going to talk about kind of the theory behind how a, a BG rep can use some of these platforms to, to increase sales and, and to leverage their brand. We're also going to have my friend Sophie Deneon, who's a social media strategist, and she helps businesses all over the place get the most out of their social media accounts. She's going to tell you how to post, how to uh, do it in ways that will help you get your message out to your customers and make sure that they see it and, and interact with it. And we're going to be talking with BG Rep that has done a particularly good job at using social media to, to build his personal brand and increase sales. And I think you're going to like this, what he has to say. So uh, just keep in mind that's coming in December. I know for some of you, you may think, ah, I don't know if that's really my thing. I might skip that one. I would encourage you to listen to it because I think you're going to find it useful. Anyways, thanks for listening. And without further ado, here's Mike Lasuzo. Welcome to Smoke and Burn. I'm Casey Gresseth, and today joining me is uh, managing partner for BG Services Arkansas, Mike Lasuzo. How you doing, Mike? Man, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Mike's had a, a busy couple of months here, a busy year, really. Um, but uh, Mike, maybe you can kind of give us some context here of, as to you know where where your career is has gone in the past year or so here with the changes down there? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think, um, you know, a lot of it, I, you know, kind of start maybe on how I got into the business even um, and then kind of progressively where I am today. Um, so I graduated college with a lovely marketing degree, which made no sense after I got out and I was looking for something to sell. And so I, uh, I ended up getting into the, uh, actually sold pest control for about eight months, <laughs> which was terrible. Um, <laughs> not, but, not much fun. No, I was a commercial representative and it was just some of the stuff I've seen in life and in restaurants. It just makes you not want to go out to eat. 
Oh, um, good God. So I had a, a family friend that was working for a company named Dynatron Software that basically did uh, very detailed reporting, um, some electronic menus and electronic um, uh, multi-point inspection. So I landed a job there basically working on <clears throat> opcodes, building opcodes. Like I was a call it a data analyst, if you will, but I was just very, very low of the bottom of the barrel guy. Um, and then over five and a half years, built my way up to being a um, regional sales manager slash trainer, field trainer. Um, so I would fly all around the country, work with different dealerships all the way from LA to Jersey, really. Um, I would work with different dealerships and, and BG uh, distributorships on, you know, fixing working on processes. So making sure techs are doing multi-points right uh, in the correct way. And then also working with an electronic menu process that honestly, um, you know, gets the guys to, you know, just create a habit to present that to every customer every time. So very process driven. Um, I was traveling a ton. Uh, I mean, I was, I was usually leaving on Sunday nights and coming back home on Friday. Uh, Pretty much missed like the first two or three years of my son's life, which is not fun. Oof. Uh, yeah, I've been there and done that, but I didn't have kids. I can't imagine like oh, tough. having a family. Yeah, it was so tough, man. I was actually out in Missouri on a call and I was riding with Don Sufko. Um, and I was like, dude, I'm done with this. He's like, man, why don't you go work for Carolina or something? Here a few months, a few months went by or a month went by and him and Bradley called me. Um, and said, Hey, what do you think about central Missouri and Columbia? And, uh, you know, at first I really didn't believe them. Um, and then a few months later, after we talked a few times, I was in a moving truck on my way to Columbia to sell BG. Um, so it, it was an interesting experience because the, the territory that I was taking over was already established. I mean, the, the guys were, you know, they were drinking the Kool-Aid on the BG. They just needed someone to drive them a little bit. If that makes sense, I'm sure a lot of these guys listening can relate to that. Right. It wasn't a full control out delete, you know, starting from nothing sort of situation. Totally. Yeah. And I think when I took that territory over, we were doing about 680. And I believe it was around 1.2 uh, there in two years. So we almost doubled it, which is awesome. I mean, it's obviously the support. So to backtrack a little bit, whenever I was my, so back in the day, we didn't have like training or launch programs like we do today, like with new people. I was with Don for two days and he was like, good luck, bud. And then just drove back. (laughs) Uh, And, and, you know, I remember the first day I rode with him, I said, man, you know, my goal is not to be in Columbia, Missouri, the rest of my life. I want to, I want to own a distributorship or part of one with you guys one day. And, you know, honestly, it, it felt like in my mind, I was thinking five to six years and in about in three and a half years, um, Arkansas became available and, you know, they gave me a chance. So, I mean, um, which is crazy. I mean, everything happened so fast. Put me closer to home. I'm from Dallas, Texas originally. So, uh, you know, get to see the my parents and yeah, sisters. It's not, not a horrible drive to Dallas from yeah. there. No, it's not bad at all. And so, you know, I, 
the the excitement and the thrill of having this opportunity to jump into Arkansas, man, I was all in. Um, the guys, all, you know, Don and Bradley, it's funny, the my last month in Missouri, <laughs> the territory, uh, just the dealer side, because we had split it up since then. We split it up into dealers and independents versus just my whole territory. Uh, the dealer side did like 90 grand the last month I was there, shockingly, because that was like my last good commission check before I took on a business. <laughs> um, Found all the uh, the empty space underneath the stairs in the parts department. Yeah, the I mean, honestly, I didn't stack the shelves, but that's what they think. So we'll let them believe. <laughs> right. Um, so so it was, uh, you know, so I'm used to, so I, I didn't know anything about BG when I took over Columbia, but I knew a lot about the dealership business, which helped me. Um, and that's how I've really driven my career. And we'll get into a lot of that in a little while. Um, but moving to Arkansas, I had this thought of this is what BG is, you know, around the country, right? Because in Columbia, um, you know, we had a, you know, guys, like I told you before, guys were drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, they were all in. They were, you just needed someone to push them a little bit and create some excitement. Um, whenever, whenever I rolled into Arkansas, it's, it's kind of like it's split up into two different states, honestly. So like Northwest Arkansas, everyone was drinking the Kool-Aid. They just needed a little love. Uh, they just hadn't been seen frequently. And then the, the more you got down South was the opposite. We were showing up, but it wasn't really like, you know, BG is the greatest thing in the world. And so yeah, and that's a like two different states is putting it lightly. Like the difference between Northwest Arkansas and Southern Arkansas, just in terms of culture, is a is a shock. Completely different, man. Um, completely different. But you know, so I was when we started out here. It was myself, and there was one other gentleman down in uh, Central Arkansas. And about two months in, I was fortunate enough to, because I was basically running, I was running out, like our, um, we use ProMasters here, um, or we have, or it was basically like a, a Nissan NV. Uh, we normally use those, but it was getting shelved up for me. So for like a month and a half, I was running out of like a traditional, you know, like an Ecoline van, basically, where you right. can't stand up and. And I didn't know where I was going, man. I mean, I, you know, I didn't even know where places were. And so I was doing that for the first two months, basically up here, essentially by myself. And it was just absolute craziness. <laughs> That's an <laughs> understatement. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, we, you know, just speaking for, for corporate, you know, we spent, our guys spent a lot of time scattered down there, you know, in the past few years here. And, uh, Man, I, I think we all kind of had an idea of what you were getting into when you started down there, but um, yeah, it's it's a it's a shock. I feel like Arkansas is a state. I don't know, maybe maybe you have the same perception, maybe not, but I feel like people who have not been to Arkansas or are not from like this immediate part of the country, like they have just they just see it as a blank spot on the map, like they don't even know what's there, and it's actually a pretty awesome place. It's kind of like. Uh, you know, almost like Appalachian territory, like Tennessee and stuff. It's beautiful in, uh, oh, yeah. especially Northwest. Yeah, um, dude, hundred percent. I mean, I mean, so we're at the foothills of the Ozarks, right? And I mean, I live in Bentonville and I mean, it is absolutely beautiful. I mean, you can go to Eureka Springs, you can go to Bella Vista. 
Oh. I haven't been to Eureka Springs yet, but I heard it's pretty awesome. Oh man, it's epic! It's it, it's such a beautiful place. And then you like as you drive down south, you're going through these beautiful mountains, um, and then you get to Little Rock, and it's a little more flat. It's still mountainous a little bit, but <clears throat> but yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous. I don't I don't think people I certainly didn't until I moved here. Uh, the sheer beauty of <clears throat> what Arkansas has available to them. So yeah, it's a cool um, place. It really is. Um, we love it. We've been here for a year and a half, and it's absolutely amazing. Um, so, so we, you know, thankful, thankful that I have business partners and Don and Bradley. I mean, I owe. I mean, yeah, the guys gave me a chance, and I, you know, I work for it and I earned the opportunity. But I mean, these guys really had. You know, they won't tell you, but I feel like they perfected that delivery process with so basically the way we have it set up is we've got what we call a route salesman that'll deliver product and then that's basically our reactive right very important very professional stocks the shelves pays the tech spiffs fixes equipment crucial it's basically the bloodline in my opinion to our business and then i have territory managers that are well 75 percent of the time are proactive right so working drives all day, doing training, things like that. Um, and so we grew from myself and one other guy. Now we have seven, eight, including myself in Arkansas, um, which is just incredible in a year and a half to, to have the opportunity to grow that fast. But because of that model, I feel like it's significantly helped that allowed awesome. us to grow so fast, if that makes sense. You know, so kind of on that note, um, I feel like the hiring process has got to be kind of different down there than it is here because, I mean, you're not looking for the same type of people over and over. You know, that's kind of the the archetypal, you know, BG model is find a guy that can do everything in a given right. geographical area, whereas you're looking for a good, sturdy, reliable guy to, to take care of your product stuff and all the, the nuts and bolts of the business and then you can hire really like a sales stud for the territory manager. I mean, is that, is yeah. that accurate to say? Yeah, that's very accurate. It's still difficult as we all know to, to, you know, to find the right guy, but yeah, I mean, generally we're going to be looking for a guy that's, you know, it's an entry level sales position. Um, honestly is what it is. Uh, the, what we call route sales and, um, you know, one of my guys, the first guy I hired started out in a van and now he's running an independent territory and we have someone else in the van. Oh, um, so that's cool. So you're kind of like, uh, it's, it's almost like an apprenticeship. Exactly. It's kind of like earning your stripes, if you will. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense or proper, but. Oh, it, it makes a time. I think that's a great idea. No, I mean, you know, it, it gets the guy, cause you, I mean, you look around the country, we've, we've all met all these uh, very successful BG guys. And most of those guys have a guy that delivers stuff for them. You know what I mean? Right. Um, because, because otherwise they're spending too much of their time being reactive instead of proactive. And we all know we have to be proactive to grow our business. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, with, with them having that model and having this opportunity in Arkansas, it was very, very unlike Columbia. Uh, like I had mentioned earlier, um, we basically were, it was like a clean slate. Um, we just had to completely rebuild the the brand of BG and the value that we brought to the table, honestly. Um, 
and that's the fun part, right? Because then you you work on uh, you work on one by one, and then before you know it, you got this six dealer group that's with you now, and they're humming on all cylinders, right? Um, but but once you have an action plan or a game plan in place. Um, you know, someone told me when I first started, it's BG, a BG, what we call a territory manager is kind of like spinning plates. You know, you start off on the very first one and now you're at the 10th customer or whatever you want to say, but you got to go back and spin that first plate or the plate's going to fall. Right. And it's just an ever revolving constant process where you got to keep the plate spinning. And so the way that we're set up, um, the way our, both of our, you know, Arkansas and, uh, Missouri is set up is it's set our guys up, our territory managers for hundred percent success. I'm not saying it works every time. Um, you know, you'll, you'll hire the wrong guys like we always do, but, um, <clears throat> when you get the right guy, uh, and you get the right team together, man, it clicks very quickly. That's awesome. So you came on, you went down there with just yourself and one other guy who was a, employee of the former regime, right? What's, what's your t- team look like now? How many people you got? So we have a total of seven. So I have a, so down in Little Rock right now, I've got a territory manager. So my proactive guy, I've got a, what I, what we call route sales. And then I have a product specialist. Basically what his job is to do every day is just train. So he's working in the shops mostly. He's working on equipment, burning test tubes, uh, getting guys really excited. So while he's doing that, my territory manager is on the drive, uh, working with advisors on selling services so he can perform with the tax. Um, and then in Fort Smith, we've got one guy that actually does a dual role. So he is, he's running the van and he's doing proactive activity. And then in Northwest, I've got an independent territory manager. I've got a dealer guy, and then I've got a route salesman in Northwest Arkansas. I so see. we have seven guys in a year and a half, basically, is what we've added to the to the team, essentially. That's incredible, incredible, man. That's that's yeah. that's astronomical growth. I mean, that's and I, I suppose that you know really enables you to to like you said, spend the time on on business development rather than just you know putting out fires. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And that's and that's why that's why I feel like it's most successful is because of that. Um, without that model, man, there's no, it wouldn't have happened as quickly here. And I mean, you know, my guys have done a really good job and they're the reason why, um, we've excelled this very first full year. I mean, they've done a heck of a job. Um, but there's so much out there still. It's just re-engaging that process. And, you know, one of the things that's helped us a lot is we, we utilize an outside sales trainer, um, his name's Brett Baker. The foundation and the the name of the program that he uses is Sandler Training, is what it's called, and it's basically like a different approach to to the normal everyday sales guy walking into a, a manager's office to prospect, right? So it's it's essentially a, a way to be different, if that makes sense. We teased Sandler a little bit uh, when I was talking to Steve Tingle because he's he's on a similar sort of program right now, I think with Brett Baker, actually. Yeah, he is. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah I, so I see a lot of distributors, you know, utilizing Sandler and especially Brett at the moment here. 
No, yeah, it's just a, it's a total game changer. I mean, we could we could literally spend two hours and I could give you all these great nuggets, but you know, one of the biggest things that I think that that has changed my game in the past year is one of these um, I don't know one of these chapters. I don't know what you want to call it. Um, one of the foundations that he teaches. It's called the uh, it's called the attitude or the behavior triangle. So. Bear with me for a second while I kind of explain this and you can tell me, dude, you're not making sense. So <laughs> if you if you take a piece of paper and you draw down a triangle, um, the bottom left corner is a B, the top of it is an A, and then the bottom right is a T, so the bat triangle or behavior triangle. And I'm going to explain each section of that and then I'll kind of talk about how I've influenced my team and in the field. So the way this works, the A at the top uh, stands for attitude. And so we, we believe and we're taught in, in this training that nothing is going to happen until you have the right attitude. So even if you're presenting the menu and your technique is perfect, but you're rude as hell to the customer, you're not going to get anywhere. Same thing with a BG salesman. If their attitude is very poor and they go into an account, they feel that and, and they're not going to buy from. So it starts with attitude. So whatever's going on in the world today, you look yourself in the mirror when you wake up and you say, today, I'm going to make it a great day. So that's it starts there. Does that make sense? Right. Kind of controlling your outlook when you're walking into a shop. Yeah. I mean, just just in general, just your day. I mean, you know, you got to have a good attitude or you're not going to get far in this world not only in BG, but home life, whatever the case is, you got to have a good attitude. So then we go over to the uh, left corner, bottom left, and that's a B. So that stands for behavior. So behavior could be presenting a menu, doing a walk around, doing a multi-point, or from a BG perspective, um, presenting revenue reports, uh, having management meetings, you know, doing advisor training. So the behaviors that we know will get us to the actual result, if you will. So one of the biggest things that he teaches us is everyone that, that does any kind of selling or, or behaviors, let's say, they're constantly worried about the result. So we try to, we try to block out having an answer to the result and just worry about the behavior. So let me explain that a little bit. So on the behavior side, on the behavior side of the triangle, we've started doing contests and things like that with advisors. And it's like traditionally, BG guys will go in and say, hey, if you sell 15 uh, EPR kits, we'll give you a $50 gift card, let's say, for example, right? So what we've tried to get them to do is say, if you present the menu 50% of the time, We'll give you a $50 gift card. That okay. That makes, yes. Okay. It's coming together now. So, so we're working on the behavior, if that makes sense. So we're working on the behavior versus the result. We've got to get them to do the behavior first or the results aren't going to matter, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, you know, I think you see that play out in shops over and over again. I mean, take, for instance, you know, every one of us is at a store where there's, two crusty advisors that really don't do a whole lot of selling, you know, all of a sudden they hire some new kid with no experience 
He doesn't know what he's doing. He's not polished. He doesn't really have the product knowledge, but he's presenting the menu because if, if there's one thing that he can do correctly, it's, it's put a menu in front of the customer, right? Exactly. And his, he sells those people under the table. Exactly. Exactly. So that's the behavior part. And the last piece is T for technique. Now, let's, let's say I'm going to coach an advisor on this. So we got to have the right attitude. Before I can coach him on technique, he needs to be able to do the actual behavior, present the menu, ask the question. Once, he's, once his attitude's good, the behavior's good, then, then if he's still not getting the results, then it's a technique problem. Does that make sense? And then we can take back and really work on, hey, this is how we present EPR on the drive. That makes a ton of sense. Okay, so so looking at an account that you're trying to, you know, maybe you inherited it or maybe it's new, you know, first and foremost, you're trying to get everybody to buy into the BG, to BG as a whole, right? Everybody to have the attitude that like, this is good for us, it's good for the customer, it's good for the shop, this is a good thing. Then you right. focus on the nuts and bolts of, of, of process, right? Mm-hmm. behaviorally, you want them to present a menu. You want them to, to, you know, do a rim presentation with the, with the multi-point, whatever it is. Right. And then at that point, you know, they're going to reach a you know, some level of success just by having the right attitude, you know, behaving in the proper way. From there, you fine tune it on the technique side to, to just make them that much better at what they're already doing. Yeah. You, you explained it probably better than me. <laughs> I just get so excited about it, man. But no, you're exactly right. I'm, I'm so passionate about that because it's honestly changed the way my guys have responded in the field. And then advisors, once they taught this and understand that it's not about the result, I just got to have a good attitude and do the behavior. The technique will just add the, add the sprinkles on top of the ice cream. You know what I mean? Right. And so, and so that's where it's really taking it over. And so, you know, your question you asked me about going in, taking over account about process and stuff. So one of the big things, again, I feel like I'm a commercial now, but one of the big things is how we dig into pain and asking the pain questions whenever we're in front of an account. And so honestly, like when I took when we took over Arkansas, what I did a lot of in the beginning to, to, to see where I needed to spend my time is to figure out. Whenever I showed these different managers, um, different managers, general manager, owners, these revenue reports and the missed opportunity, who got the most excited about it and wanted to come up with an action plan. So I identified those by figuring out if there was some pain there and they wanted to grow their business. So so we start there. So and, and then I'm able to identify the accounts need to go focus on. So once I got some type of commitment, we completely build an entire process from the appointment setting till the follow-up email about the survey that they got. Okay. Um, and, and it's not all about BG, right? So it's not all just about how can we do this walk around and do dip trays, right? That's a, you know, we still can do a little bit of that, but I mean, everything's so sealed up and hard to get to. It's kind of difficult. Right. But it's about looking at tires, you know, on the drive, doing white, you know, things like that, doing the walk around process. Um, you know, and that's honestly where it starts. So whenever someone comes in, 
Um, first and foremost, the appointment setting side of it is the, is the opportunity to set the expectation. I'm going to, my advisors are going to need five minutes with you on the drive. Your advisor is going to need five minutes with you on the drive just to review your vehicle on the outside while you have in front of us, because you're going to be, you're going to drop it off with us today. And so you got to set the expectation up front or you've already failed because people are ready to get out of there, right? We're always running around. Oh, I got to be here in five minutes. So it starts there. Then the advisor walks out and does the, the walk around process. We're checking tires, wipers, lights, very basic, looking for damage on the outside of the vehicle. I can't tell you how many advisors have switched to this process. And, you know, some guys will say, well, that's easy at a dealership. What's really easy at an independent garage, too. You just got to walk out the door. Right. Um, You know, I I used to get a lot of that feedback. And it's important just to, man, during that walk around, I can't tell you, and I'm sure you've done it a ton, too. But during that walk around process, you can really build some really good bonding and rapport with the customer about their vehicle because they'll ask questions and it's just a very unique opportunity to let the guard down a little bit if that makes sense yeah 100 um, i think that's a i don't know if you've ever listened to like chris collins much you know mm-hmm. but that's exactly how he's describes like that that initial greeting with the customer is all about you know getting them to loosen up, establishing some rapport, you know, you're, you're building a relationship so that when it does come time to sell something, it's a soft sale, you know, I mean that we've built to that point. Absolutely. And so, so from there, we obviously address, Hey, what did you come in for? We address their initial service concerns first every time. And then we recommend maintenance, right? Based on time and mileage. And then from, how we do that is is the key to the success in a lot of this upfront selling stuff. So let's say you're a customer, you come in, we do the walk around. We're going back to my desk to get your R written up. And I say, hey, Casey, would you be interested in seeing what the manufacturer um, says your vehicle is due for today? And I, mean, I don't know how many people will say, no, I don't want to know that. I'm, I've had no one ever tell me no. Right. So then we pull out a dealer recommended menu with manufacturer recommendations on it, you know? And so that's our first touch point, right? So we, we, like you had mentioned earlier, softening that cell a little bit. Um, that's, that's, you give the customer the power to tell, you no. they tell you, yes, you got to show them. Right. So, right. So we show them the menu. Uh, we present it, we sell it, we don't, doesn't matter, right? Because we're not concerned about results. And then the next step in that process, which advisors fail, I feel like every day is the status call. When the customer's dropped it off or in the waiting room, how are we following up with this customer? Um, and I feel like it's a, it's a timer thing. So what I would tell my advisors to do is, you know, they've got their emails up all day. And so what I would tell them to do is put like a a calendar invite to themselves on, you know, 10, 12, two and four. Hey, call Miss Jones and just update it all day. So it pops up over their screens. They remember to call Miss Jones about her vehicle. We have to keep them in the loop. Um, And then, you know, presenting the inspection. So during that initial write up after we present the menu, we have to educate the customer about the menu or about the inspection. Again, another another side that I think we blow past 
yeah, we're going to do an oil change rotate. We're going to do that EP engine performance restoration service. And my guy's going to do a multi-point. I'll get back to you on it. Right. That's pretty average talking point on a drive today. Sure. And so what I try to get the guys to do is simply say, you know, go a little more detail to it. So when we have your vehicle back there to do the engine performance restoration, my guy's going to do a very quality multi-point. He's going to check the quality of your fluids. He's going to check all your safety items like your tires, brakes, batteries, and wipers, and any any other things, any other repair things on the undercarriage. Is it okay once I get those results from my technicians if I present them to you? So again, we're giving them the option to say, no, I don't want to know anything about it. It lessens that fear whenever we have a laundry list and they've given us the right to ask them when we walk into the waiting room. So it's for probably for everybody involved, right? I mean, your, your advisor is, is less stressed about it because they have permission from the customer to tell them what their vehicle needs. You know, the customer is now has an accurate understanding of, of what that recommendation is going to look like, you know, it's what it's going to be based on. I think a lot of this, like, like everything you're saying, you know, to me, it sounds like, some a lot of your training here is focused on building value in the multi-point before we ever try to sell anything with it. Hundred percent correct. And so, I can't tell you how many times I've been on a drive, and I've followed that process. Like sometimes I'll work drives, I'll grab one of their polos, like a dealership or independent garage polo, like I'm the new guy, and I'll actually be training the advisor, if that makes sense. So I just kind of act like I'm the new guy. I'm just going through the processes. And so anytime I've ever said, Miss Jones is, you know, went through the spiel on the multi-point. Is it okay if I give these results to you or present these to you once I get them back? And every time I've presented something when there was something to sell, the customer always said yes. Every 100% of the time. Now I didn't sell the whole thing but I would sell something on the multi-point um, and, and I didn't have to sell them. You know, you just go through the party, right? This is what you came in for. My technician says, you know, all these things look good, but it looks like X and Y really need to be addressed today and Z can wait till next time. And then, you know, Hey, well, let's go ahead and take care of X, not Y today, whatever, or let's do X, Y, and Z. And that's the thing is, when you hang, when an advisor hangs everything on the result and not just doing the behavior, that's when they get nervous and they're expecting a yes. So we try to bring that wall down, make the customer feel like they're good, make us feel like, hey, it doesn't matter. They said they wanted to see it, so I have to show it to them. Everybody's in a more calm, woo state, if you will. <laughs> Man, I, I love that perspective on it. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense, you know? And... I mean, all of us that have, that have done a lot of advisor training, you know, I mean, menus, for instance, you know, uh, when I'm training menus, you know, generally my, my focus has always been on the, on, you know, getting the yes, trying to make sure that something is on that ticket when it heads back to the shop. And, you know, it, it only takes three or four, you know, strikeouts for an advisor, you know, especially for the day, but sometimes even, you know, for the week to go. I'm not putting myself through this anymore. Right. You know, it's just it the the process that you that you sold them on is just not what you made it out to be. Yeah. You know. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's where you gotta you gotta have them to believe that the behavior is more important than the result. Because if you have them believing, which I I believe, it's not like I'm lying to them. I, I believe that you do the behavior enough, the sales, the results will be there. I mean, I think I want to say don't quote me on this. Let's hope we have no like NADA guys listen to this. But I at at one point in the time, if we present to the customers 100% of the time a menu up front, 40% of the time the customer will buy something from that menu. 40% of the time. Now, to the BG guys listen to this, I mean, if you could get your customers to a 40% penetration, you'd probably be pretty happy. We're dancing. Oh, uh, maybe. Yeah, we're probably on tables at that point. With some whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe that was last night. I'm confused. Sorry. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, so, so you know, again, it's, it's, it's driving that behavior. It's really driving them to just do that process. The very, it's not aggressive, man. I mean, you've, you, we've been, to, we've seen each other. We've been around, you know, we've never been out in the field together, but I am, I am the opposite of aggressive. I'm just like, hey, what's going on, man? Let's talk about it and let's figure out how I can help you grow your business. And I feel like that's the, a lot of the re because I don't weigh everything on the result. I'm just doing what I know works. Simple as that. So it's, it's definitely disarming. I think to, to come at it from that perspective, totally um, is. what they, what they hate is being hammered on, you know, if if you don't do this, something, you know, whatever, negative result, the stick instead of the carrot. But, you know, if you, I think, it, you know, if you sit and you think about your programs and your dealerships right now, and, you know, I can think of quite a few right now where yeah. we've, we've built menus, we've done training, we've done the smoke and burns and all that kind of stuff, you know, and it's still just not moving like we want it to. You know, what it comes down to is that the advisors – haven't bought into the process. It's it, well, it's it's that, or it's the or it's the lack of accountability from the service manager, upper management. Right. So at some point, you know. So what's okay? That's a that's a great segue here. So you go in, you really set the store up for success. You know, um, getting buy in on it from everybody on BG. Um, training them on the behaviors. You're starting to train the people who are who are buying in and using the process on on having a better technique. At, at what point does uh, you know do you have to pull that that accountability card? You know when you've got an advisor that's just not giving you the time of day. So part of the initial meeting is setting expectations on what their goals are in regards to a number. So it gives us something to shoot for. So my commitment to them is if they give me a number, excuse me, if they give me a number, let's say it's 25%. Okay. And they're currently at, let's say they say, okay, 30% and they're at 10. I'm going to say, but John, that's really not realistic for us to get to 30. What about 20? And then we agree. Okay. Let's start at 20. So, Whenever I get commitment from a, hey, let's get to this percentage standpoint, then it's a weekly report to those advisors 
to let them know and the manager every week they're getting a, a sheet of paper that shows their success, uh, that shows their results, actually. And so without without a VMA, Dynatron, whatever it is that you've got reporting, you just got to go to the shop, get the data, sit on your computer and shoot it to FedEx, go print it and bring it back. I mean, you got to find a way to get it done every single week because until the manager knows that you're serious about your end, generally they're not going to get very serious on their end. Right. So especially when it comes to reporting and data, you know, you, you're of the opinion that, you know, you, you need to be in the driver's seat when it comes to getting that data. You can't rely on, on a parts manager or a service manager or whatever to do that for you. You just got to go in and get it. Absolutely not. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be the guy that's going in and getting the data. And I feel like once you know, you've broken down a wall with botting and rapport, the guys will just let you jump on and grab the data yourself. So some advice to the guys listening, if they, if they want to learn how to get the data, right. Cause that's always a struggle. You know, there's three or four main ones and then there's a few other ones. So what, what we've started doing is actually having the manager, whoever pull a report, let's say we're in Reynolds, right? Um, so we actually record the manager doing it so we could go watch it. And then the next week we go in and watch our recording and pull the data. And so then <laughs> after two or three, that's such a simple solution, but yeah, it makes no, so much crazy. sense. It's crazy, right? So I was, I was building an op code, uh, last week. And I had uh, my guy at Fort Smith, Ron, record me so because he, he didn't know how to build it in Reynolds. And so then I had him forward the recording to another guy that was having wanted to build the op code in Reynolds. And the guy got it done. Um, so, I mean, you, just ha- you have to, in order to hold a shop or dealership, whoever accountable, you've got to be able to do it yourself. you got to go in there and just knock it out. I mean, generally the managers will let you. I mean, maybe the first few weeks they'll want to do it. But after you keep showing up and you're getting results and things like that, I mean, generally, they'll just let you jump in and knock it out, uh, get the data that you need. And it's literally, I mean, you know this, it's five minutes to get the data, um, especially if you have like an auto soft guy. That's my favorite one because it's so point and click easy. <laughs> um, I've heard that, yeah. But Automate, not so much. Yeah, that's a negatory on that one. But – <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to take control of that, and it, and it's up to you to start that party. And then, so you, so you create a goal, whatever. You've identified these behaviors to get you to the goal, and then you got to hold them accountable to that, to the behavior, because you know, like I said, you go back to the triangle: attitude, check; behavior, check; technique. Well, we can look at the result. The result says we're not really getting anywhere. Well. It's got to be how we're presenting it to the customers. Or maybe the advisor had a bad day. I mean, I've got rock star guys, right, that that do, you know, they're at like 75% penetration on BG. And they'll text me and be like, man, I had a rough day today. I didn't sell one. And I'm like, well, it sounds like it was on you. It sounds like your attitude influenced the whole thing because you're negative Nancy sending me all these sad memes and stuff, man. You know? So... <laughs> Let's let's get over the crying emojis and let's let's button it up. <laughs> you know, let's go to the mirror and say we're cool and we're a good per- person. 
and let's go do the behavior. So, you know, and, and that's, so from an accountability standpoint, I feel like we need to be the ones that lead that. We need to show them that we're serious about what we both agreed on. And then we need to hold them accountable to it. You know, Hey, we agreed that we're going to meet every week for at least 15 minutes on Fridays at 10 o'clock, whatever it is. And last week you weren't here and you didn't tell me you were going to be gone. What's up? You know, is, is the money not that important to you? Were you not very serious? And you need to pin them in a corner. And, you know, at the end of the day, I've had several of these things where, and you know this, you spend all this time, you're two months down the road, you're not getting anywhere, and the guy backs out. Man, that's a customer that you don't go see every week anymore. You know what I mean? You, you have to move where you need to be. Um, I'm not saying you give up on them, but until you get, you know, it's you can't stay on the first plate, man. You've got 30 other plates. If that makes right. sense, you, you eventually got to move on. Especially, you know, kind of looking at your scenario when you started down there, you know, it's just you and there's a ton of accounts and you got to strike where the iron's hot. If they don't want to play ball. We still give them great service, but that's right. not going to be the focus of your attention. You know, when they're ready to make a change because Absolutely. you keep offering them the option, yeah. then, you, then you run in on it. Hundred percent, man, and I think that's where a lot of the times guys will fail in the not fail, uh, uh, but you know, not be as successful as they could be, is because they don't identify if it's important to the leader or not before they put in all the work. When you skip that process, if it's only important to you, you're only going to get so far in that account. It's just that's just facts. That's now. I mean, I can be the accountability guy, and we can grow the business and get to twenty percent. And yay, we're doing okay, but you'll never get that thing to 40, 50% until you've got someone in upper management holding guys accountable and holding you accountable to whatever's happening in the shop. Right. So, so that's where it starts 100% of the time is accountability with upper management. You got to create a game plan and some kind of goal, right? A goal, some uh, Don Sufko, actually, I'm giving him another shout out on this. Hope he listens. But he, he once told me a goal is only a dream without a deadline. So, you know, the guys that have a goal that you set, it's, it's for this month. So the guy that goes from 10 to 15, I mean, we're not going to jump from 10 to 30 unless there's just this rock star that we got hired at an account that's going to do it for us. It's very unrealistic. So we just take, you know, the eat the elephant one bite at a time. And that's just how it needs to be. That's how it works. Well, and earlier, you know, when you were talking about that, um, you know, you get into conversations with a manager, you talk about penetration and stuff. And he goes, well, 40%, 40% is our goal. 40% is our goal. And this is a store that's doing 15 right now. Right. You know, it sounds like to me, like you'll, you'll reality check them and bring them back down to something attainable. Cause I mean, if you miss the goal, more than a couple of months in a row, you're going to start to lose faith in your ability to hit that goal. I, I would imagine. Right. Exactly. And so, yeah, and that's, that's another thing that is so crucial because how many, so think about this in your, so in my, so for me from personal experience, so when, 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 when I went into Columbia and I would have these meetings with guys because they told me that's what I should do. I didn't really know how I was doing it. I mean, literally they just kicked me out and said, good luck. So guys would say, well, my goal is 40%. And I would literally do the Chris Farley, man. Okie dokie. 
And I'd be so excited. You know what I mean? Like these guys are going to get to 40%. They're at five. They right? did it. I'm like so excited, man. I put in all this energy. I'm getting, you know, uh, doing a contest. I'm getting, uh, you know, I'm getting every guy fired up doing one-on-ones, buying lunch, buying pizza, buying breakfast. And then literally they go backwards a percent to four. And I'm like, Jesus, what had happened, right? <laughs> what did I do wrong? And so slowly but surely, man, what, what I figured out is we need to set realistic goals. So if we're at five, realistically, to double that business would be pretty awesome. So let's get the 10. And then literally, I, I call it the 5% rule on it. There's something else on that, but 5%, it, you know, I feel like I can, me and a manager can influence a minimum of 5% a month pretty easily. I feel like, I mean, not easy, but we have to meet and combine and make stuff work. You know what I mean? Now, right. I've had examples where we've had 20% jumps in a month. We were blown away because everything was clicking on all cylinders. But but you and I both. No, I mean, realistically, it's it's a five. I mean, if, if you have someone at 15, you can get them to 20, you would take that every day. That's a great month. Yeah, absolutely. And then next month, we can get them to 22 and a half or 25 or whatever. But getting to that goal. So it's setting those small wins and not saying – by the end of the year, I'd like to be at you know thirty-seven and a half percent. Well, come on, you're at two. Let's get you to seven or whatever the case is. So, and 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 how are we going to get there? Not just hey, let's set the goal, but like I said earlier, you gotta you gotta dive into their process and understand their business before before you even honestly have the conversation about helping them grow it because you don't know what's wrong with it. Right. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that any new BG guy that's ever started or ever worked in this world was go to the busiest customer that you got and just hang up on, hang out on the drive, listen to them talk, listen to their struggles, see what they go through every day, pick up trash, move cars. That's what I did. I mean, I would literally spend half a day on a drive. Every day during the week, I, sometimes it'd be three or four hours, depending on how it going on, because I was running a route to in Columbia, but um, at least in the beginning. But I, I mean, I would literally spend half a day, two to three hours, depending on a drive, almost every day of the week. And that helped me really understand how I could help them. So now when me and this manager sit down for a game plan, I'm like, man, you know the miscommunication between your techs and your advisors and how things just don't get done because we don't communicate back quickly. And the guy's like, Oh my God. Yeah. That's a big problem. So now you're not just a BG guy slinging juice. You're an actual trusted advisor and you're there to help them. You know what I mean? So absolutely. So that's, that's critical. Anyone new to the business or new to the world that's starting out with BG. I mean, I think that's the absolute first step is just, understanding what's happening in this world. So you're, you're obviously, you know, you're cold calling, you're picking up new accounts down there and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, launching a new account. I mean, a lot of what we're talking about is about from the get go, right. Getting them off to a, a good start. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at a store that really doesn't do a lot of maintenance business, and uh, you know, you finally convince them to let you 
let you come in and, and, and bring some stuff in. What, what do you have like a, a, a starting goal that you start? I mean, do you bring in a full program, you know, fuel, trans, coolant, brake, power steering, or do you tend to focus on limited things to start with? So to answer your question, it depends. <laughs> I'm going to be that, sure, I'm, I'm gonna be that guy. So, so if I'm, if I'm winning the business from a, the competition and they've got a fleet of everything and they have decent sales on the stuff, then yeah, I'm going to match that. But let's say we're taking over an account that doesn't have anything, right? Traditionally, I'm going to start out with oil services, pour ins and fuel because for two reasons, because if we can't, number one, if we can't get good at that, then it's going to be really hard to get good at the other stuff. And number two, from a cost perspective, it's a lot less, it's a lot cheaper for me to get that party started and be able to add some value to what I bring to the table. So I don't have to go out and spend 15, 20 grand on equipment. I can just roll in a fuel tool and some poor products and really focus on that. So whenever I start out with those two things, um, I'm going to, there's something I do or that I've, that I've always done it. I call it op code hygiene. And so I'm not going to only build the op codes for BG stuff, but we're going to look at all his maintenance op codes and just make sure they're priced right. And he's not overpaid. So I do a market survey for him. I have it all together and ready to go and kind of show them comparatively where they are. So we identify the, their, whatever their door rate is. And then we really go look at the top, 25 to 30 maintenance op codes and make sure they're priced correctly. So check one for Michael Suzanne BG, right? We're getting involved in their business and helping them grow it. So, I mean, that's, that's honestly where I start. What do you, what do you do or what's your opinion on that? I, well, it's, it's situational for sure. You know, if you're replacing a program where they're doing, you know, a little bit of everything. Sometimes, I mean, that's your only option is just to come in guns blazing, you know? Uh, I agree though. I think, I think fuel and, and, uh, and the oil products, poor products are the best way to start. Um, and then, you know, when you are doing your research, you know, like you talked about, you know, combing their op codes and looking at sometimes the, the best place to start is by, you know, looking at what they're already good at. You know, right. if, if it's a, if it's a Honda store and you start looking at their, their, uh, maintenance numbers and they're selling, you know, 50 or 60 transmission drain and fills a month, you know, if you can convince that manager to replace his drain and fill with a full fluid exchange service, you know, with our stuff, I mean, if you can walk into sales right off the bat, by all means do it. Absolutely. But I think that that same Honda store, you know, if, if maintenance is pretty new to them and, you know, uh, you look at their opcode report and they're selling three coolant services a month. Well, that's probably not the best place to, to focus your time and attention. You know, right. No. Yeah. And so, yeah. So going back to that, like, uh, we look at, I look at breaks a lot. Um, you know, are we doing breaks and then how many break services? And obviously when we're not BG or there's not a maintenance program there, you know, there'll be a hundred break jobs done, but three break services where they've actually changed the fluid. 
And so I use that as an opportunity to say, well, here's where we can capture seven grand of revenue. (laughs) I'm just going to throw that out there. If that's not important to you, then I don't need to bring the machine, but you know, I mean, uh, so yeah, you're totally right, but I still think it's really important. I mean, yes, I want to tie those things to that, but traditionally I'm going to start out with, because I I feel like what we do, those two services, 44K, EPR, MOA, and fuel services, that's a few of the services that when the customer leaves, they can feel a difference in their vehicle. I'm Mm -hmm. confident when I say that. Um, And it's a really inexpensive way to get them into the protection plan. Because, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're taking an engine performance service, 60, 70 bucks. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, so poor products, especially, I guess both oil and fuel. Yeah. Um, you know, you go in, you do training and stuff like what, what materials are you starting out providing them with? I mean, are you going straight to a full scale maintenance menu or do you start with like a one pager or a good, better, best? I mean, where, what's your, what do you pivot to generally? So if I'm rolling out, let's just say I'm rolling out oil and fuel, I'm going to, I'm going to come up with a good, better, best type of menu. Um, and then on the back of it's going to have something related to fuel. I'm going to give them some type of point of sale. Um, but I think one of the most important parts that again, we skip the step, but we know it's important is to not only hang on the bearing machine in front of each advisor, technician, do demos and training, but actually do the services on the advisor's cars. I've been preaching to my guys, like how I learned how to do fuel services was I'd grab it and Hey man, can I do a fuel induction on your car? Yeah, man, go ahead. I'd pull it around back and smoke the place out trying to figure out what I was doing. You know what I mean? So, I mean, yeah, we have to do those services to advisors, managers, everyone that wants one, honestly, because you speak from a different place whenever you've experienced it. You know what I mean? Right. It personalizes what you're talking to the customer about. Yeah, and exactly. I think that's a, that's something that, that gets skipped over a lot because for some guys, you know, that's the, the cost of those kits is coming right out of their pocket. But you know, when you look at it from a, a sales perspective, you know, you can't afford to not have buy-in from the advisors on that level. No, oh, yeah. There's no way you can because it's just so, I mean, I'm telling you, I mean, that's how I got, I was killing fuel in Columbia because I was doing services to anyone that, uh, that I hadn't done. Hey, I'm Mike LaSouza with BG. When's the last time you got a fuel induction on your car? And they're like, man, it's been, I don't think ever. And I'm like, all right. So would you like me to pull that around back and knock that out while you're here? Yeah, man, if you want to, I guess. And then the next week was again, the accountability Hey man, did you notice anything different when you drove away? I mean, 98% of the time, unless you just got that one advisor that whatever, 98% of the time was, yeah, dude, I could tell the difference in thought response, MPG, idling, whatever the case was, man, there's always some, they could feel it. Even if it's like a mental thing where like throttle response is better or whatever, even if it's not there, they believe it. And so they're, they're going to pass it on to the customer. So, Guys got to do fuel services on advisors for you. It's so important. That's big. And, you know, I think uh, one of the things that that I've learned over the past couple of years here is we all know that fuel economy is a finicky metric to use 
to judge the success of a store or of a, of a service. But, uh, you know, what's, what's a lot more reliable and sometimes more impactful is miles per tank. Right. You know, especially if you've got an advisor that knows, you know, they fill up their car twice a week, they know they get 350 miles out of a tank, you know, the numbers might not look that impressive if they get, you know, one mile a gallon more or two miles a gallon more. But when they realize that, man, they got 40 extra miles out of that tank, that's huge to them. And it's a lot less likely to burn you, you know, if you make promises on it. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I never promise it. I just promise to be able to help their engine breathe better. And I don't know if it's going to change the way you drive or how it feels, but Hey, I feel like I need to do this to your car so you can speak from a different place. And and man, every time, I mean, I'm telling you, it's so important for guys to do that. So there's a big debate between, uh, between some of our guys right now on, on, uh, poor product menus, good, better, best, uh, I've got a camp that believes that you, when you set them up, your pricing that displays to the customer should include the oil change in the final price. Yeah. And then a camp that sinks, you know, you should do a la carte pricing on that menu because they're already there for an oil change. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Man, I love the question. Um, I fall on, so all of the menus that I create will say, let's say it's a can of MOA. In the bottom, it'll say fourteen ninety five plus oil change. And, and, and I'll tell you why. So I don't, I don't include the oil change in the price, and I'll tell you why. Because, so I've done both. I, I, I used to do it the other way where I would say, let's say the oil change is 40, so can like 50 bucks, so $55, right, for MOA. Mm-hmm. And I did not have a lot of success. And one of the guys in Missouri had changed it over to this plus oil change. And the reason why is because I teach guys or try to train guys all the time that you, you're selling this can like you're selling an induction service. So whenever you add the oil change included price, if that makes sense, when, when, whenever you add that in as a whole price, it sounds like you're selling oil change for that much because the customer doesn't, the customer doesn't understand the difference. You know, and then some guys will say, well, I can explain it different. No. So whenever we separated and said like X plus oil change, it started moving. So that that's kind of why I fall in that world is we should always sell it like it's its own service and not part of the oil change, even though it has to be. That's a good point. That's been a big, uh, a big point for, for Primaco and Atlanta, you know, and they've just crushed it yeah. on oil products over the past few years. Yeah. Um, but that's been something that they've preached for a while is, you know, nobody wants to buy a hundred dollar oil change, but people will buy a, uh, you know, if a fuel induction was $80 on top of their oil change, you know, we'd probably have advisors selling them all day long. So drawing the line, both in the customer's mind and the advisor that's that's selling it, I yeah. mean, is, is critical. Yeah, that's that's where I fall on it. I've tried it both ways, and I've I mean, for me, it's been more successful the latter. I mean, just having it separated out like it's its own service. So can I uh, can I put you on the spot here? Sure. And ask you, you're training an advisor to use a good, better, best menu. Do you have a, a default word track that you could share with us on? on how you do that. Dang, man. Isn't it, isn't the time over? No, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> yeah. So, so this is how this is how I've always trained advisors to do it. I'm a Mr. Keep It Simple guy. So, hey Casey, I see you're here for an old change and rotate today. Um, I actually checked your history before you got here, and I realized that we haven't done an engine performance service yet. Would you like me to do that today? That's it. Now, when the customer says, well, what is that? Or even some, sometimes customers say, yeah, sure, go ahead. Okay, so we want to keep it simple. Right. So then the customer says, well, what is that? I use two different examples. So one I'll use is, so basically over time with regular scheduled oil changes, we're not getting the hundred percent of oil out, out of out of your engine, out of the pan, and everything. So every ten to fifteen thousand miles, we recommend we take this shampoo and we get all that nice and clean. It's detergent-based product. We drain all that old stuff out, put brand new oil in, then we get a conditioner on top. So basically, what I'm saying, Casey, is your your engine is due for a day at the salon. We're gonna ch- we're gonna cut the hair, but we need to do a little permanent <laughs> action. And I mean. And it honestly works the best for me. Um, I've also used the example of, uh, um, uh, you know, like if I was to fry bacon in a pan Monday through Friday, right, and just kind of dump the grease in the sink but didn't really clean the pan, by Friday, number one, I'd have some really good bacon. <laughs> but I'd have a really thick coat of grease. So basically what this service is, I'm going to take some good palm oil soap, I'm going to get that cast iron pan clean and take some really high expensive olive oil from Italy. And we're going to condition that pan. So it's good to go for next time. That's a great example. So that's what, I mean, the shampoo conditioner thing, man, I just, and it's weird coming from a bald guy, but um, (laughs) usually I'll play on that too. And then the customers laugh and they don't buy anything um, at that point. But that's honestly my approach. And I mean, you would be some guys, you know, and, 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 and maybe this is where you're going. I might be taking the words from your mouth, but I feel like some guys overcomplicate the heck out of it. Instead of just, again, behavior, asking for the sale, your engine, your engine performance service is due today. We have not done that yet. 75% of the time, the customer is going to say, well, what is that? Or is that my owner's manual? Or do I really need that today? Um, but 25% of the time they're going to say, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Is it. How much is it? 60 bucks. Oh yeah, sure. Go ahead. Right. Right. So, so I mean, again, I think it's the behavior part of it. what's your, do you have one that I could steal from you and use in the field? I mean, <laughs> do you use any good work tracks that I haven't said yet? I'm interested. I, I, ours doesn't differ a lot. The one that we've been running with. And I, I got to give props to, to one of my guys, Walt for kind of, um, for creating this, this particular model. But, um, what, what he does is he has a, you know, the packages set up as, as best price, best value, best performance, mm-hmm. right? So a customer comes in and, and it's all a car pricing. Hey, Mr. Customer, along with your oil change today, you know, we have some complimentary services that, that a lot of our customers choose to, to use. Uh, we, as you can see, we've got our best price, best value, and best performance options here. What I like best about all of these is that they come with our lifetime engine guarantee. There's more information about that on the back of the page. Uh, take a look while I'm getting your car's information. When I get back, just let me know which one you want. Nice. I like it. It's very like non. So that's funny you brought that up. One of the guys, John Lovin, created one that says, I like my car. I love my car. I need my car. <laughs> 
Yeah, I I've seen that. Uh, yes, John so seems like he's probably a, a he does a lot of like word track training and, and oh, yeah, very deliberate about how he sets things up. I would imagine uber uber creative guy, probably one of the most creative guys I've ever met. He just he he thinks of things, and, but yeah, I mean no, that's perfect. So I mean you're presenting off a menu there, which I love it. I mean. And then when the customer dives in, I mean, are you saying any, so like, I feel like advisors try to get too technical and they're like pistons and rings and this and that and valves and, and all this. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I, it's too I, into the world. Yeah, exactly. Like, so that's what I always try to preach, preach to those guys, man, just simple, keep it simple. Don't you start talking about you're selling a fuel service. You start talking about valves injectors, top of pistons, customers are like, like Jeff Dunham, you know, it's going right over, <laughs> right over their head. You know what I mean? Right. Hey, Mr. Customer, better. you know, gasoline leaves a lot of residue behind in your engine as it burns. And so occasionally about once a year, we need to go in there, clean all that up, just get your vehicle back to factory specifications. It helps with performance, helps your fuel economy. Great thing about it is it comes with a lifetime guarantee. So, Keep up with your maintenance. If something happens down the road, we got your back. Can we get that done for you today? Perfect, man. I like it. See, that's what I think. I think the BG Lifetime Protection Plan is the best kept secret in the country, man. Oh, for sure. For sure. I don't understand why guy. Because if guys use it like they were supposed to, I don't know if it'd be around. You know what I mean? I mean well, and I, I think all of it kind of comes back to all of this stuff. I mean, there's, there's no silver bullet for setting up a program. There's no magical word track that's going to double your sales overnight. It all revolves around that behavioral part of the triangle, right? One of the ways that I, and I think you probably agree is, you know, part of getting guys to buy into the behavior, the correct behavior every time is by making your, it's having a reasonable expectation. We can't expect advisors to spend three extra minutes with a customer going over detailed information about the service itself or about protection plan. But you can't expect an advisor to spend 20 to 30 seconds talking about those things. So if you equip them with, with simple, easy to understand word tracks that, that focuses on value rather than the technicalities of, of what's going on. uh, I think that's, I think that's the part of the key is of getting them to buy in is, is, you know, this is a reasonable thing for me ex- to expect you to do, wouldn't you say? Yeah, no, I, I, you're, you're exactly right. And maybe that's a, maybe that's something I got to go back and figure out in my process and make sure I'm doing that. I mean, I feel like I am, but maybe I'm not, maybe we're not putting enough emphasis on it. Such value. I mean, when, whenever I'm working to drive and I'm selling, I'm talking about the protection plan, right? Because it, it's, it's more of an, oh, by the way, with me, I don't think I do it at the beginning as much, but it's more of when I'm walking to the car to talk about CSI, it's a, it's a, Hey, Oh, by the way, we did this service today. And that comes with a lifetime protection plan. But the way you say it sounds better in regards to upfront. So it gives them a little bit more tie down, turn the wrench a little bit more to the right to get them to be like, okay, this is why they do the service going to protect my vehicle. Yeah. And, you know, like regardless of whether you talk about it at the time of sale or after the fact, the whole point of it is to build value in what we've done, you know, and 
And I think that's the thing that, that sometimes we have to spell out for advisors. It's like, if, if we sell a $500 maintenance package today and the customer leaves here, not knowing the value of what they spent money on, we've lost, you know, that's not a sale you're going to make again. So yeah, it it doesn't have to be used as a sales pitch, you know, as part of your, your ask, but you know, it's something that if an advisor has an easy word track that they can pivot back to, you know, when they're delivering the car, Hey, you know, great thing about the services you had done today comes with a lifetime guarantee. If you keep up with your maintenance, something happens down the road, you know, we'll take care of it for you. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, shout out to honestly to BG and that program that has come such a long way and just, uh, how long have I, I mean, like five years now for me? Yeah. Five years from the day I started to where that program is today in regards to Mary and her team all right. up there to corporate. Holy it's, moly, dude. It's so it much different. Infinite times better. It is incredible. The response rate, the professionalism, the list goes on. It's always uncomfortable to tell someone no for anyone. Right. But, um, especially cause it matters to BG, like they know it's a customer, but man, the way they deliver that message and their facts and their data behind it, if it does happen, it's generally because it's our fault, right? right? It's, it's because we, we should have never submit it in the first place. And our account should have known that it's not like they just declined them to do it. But man, they've, they've just done a phenomenal job with that. So, well, Mike, man, I, I really appreciate you being on the show, man. I, we, we got to do this again at some point. I know, man. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see, uh, I mean, there's so much we could chat about and I appreciate you having me on and I would absolutely love to, man. You just let me know when, and after you, after you get a few more in your belt, you know, they'll have to scroll all the way down to find me, you know, in the next, you know, six to eight months. So I'm not maybe sure once, about that. once I have to scroll twice on the, once I have to scroll twice on podcasts, I might have to jump back on so I can move back. <laughs> right, <to the top>. right. <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks, um, thanks man, for all of your, uh, you know, your valuable input, man. That, that, the, the kind of stuff that you're talking about there, especially with the behavioral triangle, you know, I think, especially, you know, at BG, we are so focused on equipping the guys with product knowledge and the basics of like, you know, this is what a process at a dealership looks like. I think sometimes, you know, we don't get to talk a lot about, you know, the, the rep himself's outlook on his territory and, and, you know, being in control of his behavior and therefore being in control of, of his sales and where he's headed. So, man, I I think that was great stuff. Um, Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, and congratulations on, on uh, Distributor of the Year, man. You Well-deserved, and, uh, you know, we're all rooting for you. Dude, thanks, man. That was an awesome, awesome deal. That was the goal at the whenever I wasn't able to walk across the stage last year because Arkansas hit the quota. We were only there for three months, but that was my goal. When I saw someone go up there for Rookie of the Year, I was like, hey, that'll be me next year. Let's get that. That was my goal, so to accomplish it, awesome total total great job by obviously don and bradley and all the office sales guys killer year we just gotta do it again or it means nothing <laughs> right. right it's we gotta walk across again next year for something sales else. is only as good as what you did today so <laughs> exactly cool, man we'll have a good evening dude we'll chat soon all right absolutely see you mike